out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the Scottish bass band, This Poison, because I recently spoke to Derek Muir to find out more about life, love, poetry and all that other groovy stuff. Interestingly, they have also got a four-track collection EP that's come out on the Precious Recordings of London. Do check out that label. They've been doing John Peel sessions and various BBC ones as well, Janice Long. This is one that they did for the Peel session uh, on the 30th of November, 1987. Um, And as I just mentioned, it does feature four tracks. Anyway, this is the interview with Derek. And um, after several minutes of very interesting but casual chat, we got down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. Derek, it is over to you. Um, yeah, I, I, several, lots. <laughs> um, I mean, my my very first kind of formative um, moments were um, kind of, uh, now I don't know whether I'm making this up or not, but I, I actually do think that I do remember um, when Radio 1 was actually first on, uh, and I was uh, lying on the grass, and, and, and that was 1967. So I'm, I'm a year younger than you. I was born in 1965. And, um, and I just remember the summertime and, uh, and the move playing I Can Hear the Grass Grow. Now, I, must, I must have been about 18 months, uh, maybe two. And, uh, and, uh, but, but whether it's just something that... Um, uh, it's kind of lodged in my mind as kind of being the, one of those really signifying moments um, uh, or, or whether it's, uh, you, you, but, but it's certainly there in my head. The yeah. second is the Beatles and the um, the international satellite of All You Need Is Love. Uh, right. My mom, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that my mom actually, when I was two, actually, or maybe three, Took me into the front room, black and white TV, and actually said, "Right, Derek, this is history. This is this is now. This is whoa!" And and I was so excited about that. Yes, um, I would imagine. Was, yeah, and um, because you, you know the Beatles were everywhere. My mom and dad were old rock and rollers, and my my mum was especially kind of a real kind of you know, music lover as well as well as well as my dad, and um, the. Third moment was um, Maggie May um, on Top of the Pops, the legendary one with John Peel, you know, kicking the football around with the faces. Uh, no, I didn't have a clue who John Peel was at the yes. time. Yes. Was, but, it, was uh, he playing slide guitar or something? He was playing a mandolin and then he started right. playing football uh, at, at the end. But my, Maggie's my mum's name. Uh, so she always thought that Rod Stewart was singing to her. <laughs> <laughs> it's easily done, isn't it? Was Elton John on keyboards on that key? Oh, he could that... have been as well, yeah, actually, yeah. Reggie White at the time, I would imagine. Default Reg, yes. My God, so that was quite... That was quite. So your parents were very kind of musical and sort of with it, so to speak. They weren't for uh, that... My, my dad used to play the double bass in a um, kind of Scottish West Coast... Um, oh, well, we're from the East Coast, but he, he really loved West Coast jazz, um, Stan Getz and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then he discovered rock and roll and then he started playing the double bass in a, a rock and roll band. And um, then he got signed up to, he, he was in the last batch of people to join the army. Right. Uh, scripted. 
Oh, was uh, that national service? National service, yeah, yeah. So right. he, he had to go and um, and then he had to do that for two years and um, and went off to Senelagor and, um, you, you know, I think he sold his bass when he had kids. Um, but, yeah, they were real music heads. So we, we had uh, not a massive array of music in the house, but um, we, we had kind of standards like Beatles, um, Beach Boys, uh, that kind of stuff, Stevie Wonder, um, some Motown stuff. Yes. So, Would you say your dad was a bit of a beatnik, an early beatnik, or was he, you know? Uh, it's, it's kind of quite interesting to, I mean, it's like, I'm from Perth, which is a kind of really small town in, in between Edinburgh and Glasgow. Um, so it's it's not as if, uh, he was certainly cool. He was certainly underground. And um, kind of the more that I I speak to him, the more I get to know him, you, you, you kind of think, yeah, he was... He was kind of, yeah, he was on it. He was kind of quite, you know. Yes, well, I, I, um, West Coast Jazz, I was thinking he probably even knew the work of Jack Kerouac and On the Road. So um, uh, yeah. he, he wasn't um, he, he wasn't a massive, uh, although I was subsequently, because of uh, different uh, elements. You know, I, I think uh, uh, Wahid introduced me to that. Um, uh, I, I just remember, I can't remember the name of the guy that was in Wahid. was his name again? Pete Wiley? Pete Wiley, of course. He was just resonating. I was about 15 or 16, and he was just on it uh, one day on the radio, I think Janice Long, and uh, talking about On the Road. And I, I, I think that's one of the first books that I actually read. Yes, dear old, dear old Dean Moriarty. We loved yeah, him, didn't right. we? There yeah. you go. So when did you, apart from having the double bass, which was probably quite intimidating to a young child, when did you pick up a, a musical instrument? Um, I was about 12, um, maybe 11. My mum and dad bought me a Spanish guitar um, for my birth, for my Christmas, but the, the threats were far too big, um, so I had real difficulty. Went down to had a local music store and got lessons, but it was, you know, um, uh, Osman songs, you know, it was, it was rubbish, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I didn't play for, for a battle. Here's me trying to play Starman. Or, uh, you know, so, and it didn't quite work because uh, I would like you was a, a, a big Bowie lover from 73 onwards. And um, then I, I I didn't play for a very long time. And um, then one of my friends actually got, uh, um, uh, showed me how to play boredom. Right. That seminal <laughs> two-liner and, uh, and then showed me how to E a bar chord. and. Um, and just kind of did it from there. So, um, and just taught myself, really. Yeah. And did, and did, I mean, I was a bit too young for the kind of the great punk movement. So I was, and I was influenced by my brother's record collection, who was seven years old, and he was into prog rock and stuff like that. So did you have any brothers or sisters that gave you any kind of pointers in life at that stage? Um, my, I've got a big brother, but he's, um, yeah, he's a music head, but um, he's much more kind of football. Um, so um kind of I'd, other pointers punk actually um i it, it it's a bit weird i i kind of still some dis, sometimes describe myself as being a bit of a punk rocker because when i was 11 um or even 10 i think it must have been 76 i saw the damned on supersonic that legendary moment when um the guy from supersonic kind of goes and cue the damned and um and it kind of blew me away. Yes. And, uh, and I, I had a, a, a friend, one of my best friends in Perth, big, big brother, 
um, he had kind of, he must have been three years older than us, and he had back catalogued all of the early punk stuff and all of the, you know, the desperate bicycles, all that DIY stuff. So I was kind of really fascinated by that kind of small label kind of DIY independent thing. Yes. Um, and um, and I kind of thought, I, I was a bit daft. I kind of thought the class had sold out uh, and they should have uh, signed to Small Wonder. And uh, I, I was a bit Stalinist in my yeah. kind of <laughs> DIY punk rock attitude, really. Well, it, uh, it, it, it did last until the 90s when, because I don't know, Sonic Youth, you know, signing to a major was a major moment, wasn't it, really? So yeah. we, we were all disappointed. <laughs> so look, just briefly then, the 74 and 78 World Cup, were you, was your brother disappointed or were you disappointed that Scotland didn't go a bit further? Um, you're asking the wrong man about football. Archie Gemmell, <laughs> you know, it's like goals against whoever. Uh, but uh, no, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a nationalist. Uh, although I am, uh, and I'm not. Uh, I, I, I'm, let me qualify that a little bit. Um, uh, and um, I actually think that uh, yeah, my brother was there in the at Mexico World Cup, and he, he had a great time. He came back with lots of tequila, so we had a lot of laugh. <laughs> No, I just remember they were my first two World Cups, and I just remember the the excitement in '74 that you know Scotland were going to, and they should have gone a lot further, but they didn't, and it was all a bit disappointing. I just wondered if, as a nine year old, whether you were watching the TV at that stage, thinking, Come "Oh yeah, on. yeah, of course, yeah, yeah," and kind of getting you know, you know really kind of you know together with it. But uh, yeah, I'm not a massive football head, so you know, no, no, no. Call, my, the, call my brother. Yes, the glory days of the 70s football, the football hooligan tribe. It was exciting. So when you got to 81, 16, did you leave school at this point or did you go on to sixth form? Oh, no, I left school at 16. Um, I got a job in a plumber's merchants uh, and I had loads of shit jobs um, for, um, oh, can I swear, by the way? Yes, that's fine. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I, I left school at 16. Um you know, Perth's not a university town. I'm from a very working class background. So there wasn't really any expectations to do. I did very well um, at my GCSEs. Um, so I got A's and B's. And um, then I had to stay on for what, until Christmas um, to do my hires, which is kind of a lower, lower sixth. Um, and I, I got within 5% of uh, passing those. Um, and but I did an extra economics course, and I, I got a distinction in economics, strangely. So, nice. Uh, and and then I I got a series of of jobs in Perth. Um, worked in um, an insurance company. Um, Perth has got th- three major industries. You know, it's like whiskey, insurance, uh, and farming. Really, I got a job in an insurance office, which was much better because it was. Um, you know, nine to five, and uh, it was an international. Uh, I was an international claims clerk, and um, and that was quite funny because uh, I, I was actually there when I actually got the call from Peel uh, to actually, you know, do you want to come and do a Peel session? Right, uh, blimey, which was, which was kind of quite interesting. It would have been um, very strange to suddenly have the, either John Peel or John Walters giving you a phone call. It was John Walters actually called, but uh, I, I was in this kind of filing bay and somebody kind of came running through, Derek, Derek, John Peel's uh, on the radio, for, on the 
telephoned for you. And of course, it wasn't Pale, it was Walters. And, uh, but nevertheless, it was really exciting. And, yes. Um, yeah, so that was... So that was good. Well, um, that was very exciting. So when, so as a, because because obviously the music scene in the eighties. I mean, I'm sure that every music, you know, every decade has an exciting music scene. It's just harder when you get older to know what it is, isn't it? But in the in you know during that period, I mean, obviously the seventies had an amazing group, you know, bands and sounds. But then you know the indie pop world starts in great earnest. In sort of you know we had punk, post punk. Then we had you know the Smiths. 83 which is always my kind of moment where I think for five years they have such a sort of sort of bearing on the music scene and then also you know John Peel the great gatekeeper at that time you know introducing us to so many different incredible bands and artists and different musical genres so when did you decide to form the band you know during this decade um, well, I, I always kind of thought there was a great fluidity between um, kind of how, how things actually moved through that whole kind of scene from that kind of punk thing. And, and the, I mean, through, through, through punk, there was always a kind of side element that was very experimental and, and kind of uh, doing different things within that, wasn't there? Yes. And, uh, and, and again, that DIY thing. So don't necessarily think, think that things just exploded with the Smiths. Um, no. uh, there was lots and lots and lots of really interesting um, rough trade, small wonder, um, all, all of that kind of scene that was actually you know, producing some really, really interesting stuff. Um, Postcard, obviously. Um, uh, Fast uh, out of Edinburgh, who was really, really, really phenomenal because they were they, they were kind of not genre specific. They were really, you know, they had the, the Human League, uh, they had the Gang of Four. So, you, you know, Bob Last that was running that was actually really, really on it. He was actually kind of thinking, yeah, I'm kind of going to take the best of what's actually going on just now. And um, and then obviously we had um, Joseph K, the Fire Engines, uh, all of that kind of thing. Um, but I still I, I, so kind of that was kind of a, a bit of an inspiration but because I was in Perth um I didn't actually see many of those bands um my my first big band that I actually my very first band was a local band called the Trendies who played uh at the um who played at the the local bingo hall at, at New Year in 1979 and uh, 1978 and my my cousin took me there and uh and and that was a really formative moment because I kind of thought like these are Perth guys if they can do that then I can do that yes and and I just kind of thought and and also um when I was 11 12 13 11 to 12 13 especially 11 to 12 there, there was bands kind of playing the local um not club scene there wasn't really club scene there was like little you know holes in the back of uh pubs and stuff and um so bands like the skids played um who else? The Valves, who were a band from Edinburgh, who were kind of quite big in the kind of punk, post-punk scene uh, around about that time. So people were actually getting bands up to power. And um, and then Susan the Banshees played in 1980, and, and actually seeing John McGeoch play, were, because I was a big lover of the magazine at the time, who could be a progressive, you know, certainly a progressive element. Uh, yes. As well. um, so... And um, that kind of really inspired me. And Crass played as well, uh, which was really bizarre. Uh, Crass, uh, the kind of anarcho-punk band, played in our local Lesser City Hall. And um, I think that was about 1980. And uh, there was a, a, a legendary riot. There was always riot at, at, at 
brass gigs but the the kind of kind of skinheads and punks from out of town from Edinburgh and Dundee actually came through to Perth and uh and, and crass were trying to stop the whole thing by lining up arm in arm and and actually walking through the the punches that the skins and the and the punks that were actually giving them and that was that was mad that was monumental yes and, and seeing crass because crass just kind of played i mean obviously politically their ideas were really formative uh really interesting really challenging to the thatcher government as well um, but to actually see them physically actually trying to stop uh, a, a riot w- w- was just mind-blowing um and for all of us that were at, at that gig um the kind of perth punk post-punk kind of indie alternative scene guys we're, we're all just kind of blown away by that and um so that was kind of formative as well um and then kind of through that time um there was other bands in perth that were uh that, that were we used when i was 16 used to sneak into to pubs to go and see them. Uh, there was a guy called Jerry uh, Harper and Kelly Matormack who, who had a band called Photographic Memories who were really, really, really brilliant. They didn't do anything, uh, but they should have. And, yes. uh, and they, they had another band later at the same time during the indie kind of period of um, called The Relations. And I kind of grew up just kind of thinking, I, I miss punk like, like you. I was kind of too young. Um, and I, I missed um, the postcard scene. Again, I was too young. I couldn't get through to Edinburgh or Glasgow. And I, I, I just kind of thought, there's no way that I'm going to miss whatever's happening next. I'm actually yes. absolutely on it. And we're just going to do it and get as many bands as we possibly can up to Perth. Um, and it's it's funny you talk about the Smiths because we we actually had, had bought the first piece, uh, the, the first single. And like all the indie kids and alternative kids, we're, we're, we're just you know, poised over the pause button with with Peel, taping the first two Smiths, um, first two Smiths Peel sessions. And uh, my mate phoned me up one one Wednesday night and said, "What are you doing on Friday?" And I was like, mm, "Well, I'm going to work, obviously." And he said, "Well, um, I'm planning on going to see the Smiths." Said, what, 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 what do you mean? Well, they're... and he said, they were playing in a small college called um Ormskirk College outside Liverpool and um and he said I'm, I'm going to drive down I'm going to skive off college and I'm going to drive down uh this was two weeks before this charming man was released and the, just the, uh, on the previous day they had the front cover or the very first front cover on the NME and uh Johnny Marr had a big quiff I don't know if you remember Johnny Marr's yes. quiff and uh and so we we drove down in this battered old car and actually got down to see them. And all, all the way down, everybody kept on saying, oh, that gig's sold out, you'll never get in. And um, we got down about two o'clock in the afternoon and um, they were rehearsing in the dining hall. And um, and and we got there and knocked on the, the, the door and the dining ladies came out and dinner ladies came out and said, oh, right, okay, um, yeah, can we help you? Um, yeah, we've come down to see the Smiths. We've just travelled, you know, 400, you know, 300 miles to, to come and see them. And they said, oh, you won't get in. It's sold out. I thought, oh, right, okay, but we've travelled all this way. And um, I don't know if you remember when you were at school, they had those kind of partition things um, between to split up rooms. Yes. Uh, big, massive partitions. Well, the dinner ladies actually said, so So the Smiths are, are rehearsing. Uh, they're, they're doing the sound check in the back. And uh, the dinner lady said, 
it's sold out. But don't worry, we'll let you in here. And we all <laughs> the partition. So there's four, me and three of my mates from, from Perth. Um, and so we sneaked in while we're doing the sound check. Um, there's one other guy standing at the back. And the four of us, just kind of 17, kind of going, oh, fuck, what do we do now? <laughs> God, that must have been amazing. It, well, we got the job of, uh, I got the job of uh, being a big mouth and going up to see uh, whoever was on the sound check, uh, who was on the soundboard. It was uh, Grant Schobers, who was their, their manager at the time, and just said, well, we just travelled 400 miles to Stephen Smith. And, uh, and he said, well, 300. Um <laughs> wow um but the gig sold out i said yeah i know but we've just traveled all this way it's like well wait until they tell the boys and uh it was absolutely amazing because um what, what they did so we went over to see them and they were all kind of a little con flat and uh and he came back and said um gig sold out we were like oh shit we have to go home he said no you don't have to go home what we'll do is um we'll let you in but you're not going to get in for free what you'll have to do is you'll have to go off to the bar, which was in a completely different part of the college, and get the band's rider and uh, so and, and cigarettes and uh, and bring them back. So that's what we did. And so we were backstage. Uh, it was great. And uh, and we we asked them if we could actually we asked uh, them if we could we, we had a beatbox with us. And uh, and and the stage was. It was like on, on, on a drum round. The stage was only about you know, two feet high. And uh, and they actually allowed us to actually record the gig, uh, <laughs> which was mad for being 17. Yes. And, uh, and then, so so that was really interesting. Well, that then, would be, that was probably one of the most memorable, I don't know, when you're young, that's one of the most memorable moments of your life. I mean, just yeah. I having a ticket to a gig and you'd spend the weeks beforehand just playing the record constantly yeah. until... Yeah. What was amazing about it was, was and there's so many amazing things about that. I mean, it's like, you you, you know, it's like I, I didn't know what they did with flowers. Um, I didn't know that we didn't recognise Johnny Marr because he had uh, uh, his uh, Roger McGuinn bowl cut. And, uh, and I was kind of thinking, you've been listening to Orange Juice, haven't you? But, <laughs> uh, so it was, it, was, it was just monumental. And um, they ended up putting us on the guest list for... Um, the first round of Scottish gigs that they actually did, uh, which was really interesting as well. So, oh, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah, because you know, actually yeah. I've got a copy of the the contract they had at the UEA. I think it was 1984. It was when they were first started, you know, touring, I suppose, more of the country. It was on Valentine's Day. And um, and there is the, the rider on the back, which has something like, you know, £50 worth of flowers, no roses or thorns and, you know, some <laughs> fags, some, you know cheap lagers and you know a few bits and pieces you know it wasn't very sexy but it did have the the bit about the um yeah the flowers and flowers. it was kind of interesting because it had about like this amount of money but if they sell more tickets they'll have this more money and you know just that whole world of finances and the red guitars were supporting so yeah, who, red guitars, yeah always yeah so you had the red guitars as well my oh god. yeah i saw them loads of times yeah yeah, yeah so yeah. dear old lou and they um yes my god that's that's a that's a brilliant story, isn't it? Yeah, so, yeah, so when you guys, so that was eighty four, I guess. Did you then? Uh, it was 83. 83. You were right yeah. there, weren't you? So tapes somewhere. I've actually got this. I've still got the tapes. You still have the tape. My yeah. God, my God, the memories. If only you took photographs as well. I've actually got a couple of photos. 
Um, Brilliant. If you go to Sam Nee's um, most recent book, yes. um, there, there, there's actually a couple of photographs in there. Is that a re? Is that a book that he did before, but he's just kind of republished it with a few extra pictures in? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. I so, think it's. Uh, I th- yeah, no Johnny well. Marr. Actually, it's actually worth rebuying just for my photographs of the Smiths. I think I will now, but I did see it sold out because of your pictures, probably. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> damn. Anyway, I have to send you a copy of that contract. That was quite funny. Anyway, oh, okay. yeah, cool. so um, yeah, so that was eighty three. So then. Then obviously Perth and, and your the kids were excited at this stage. When so when did you decide this is it? We're going to form a band. We are going to be um, kind of um, it was it was just kind of a natural um, process. We had um, uh, I mean per, me and Light, who's the bass player. Um, uh, we used to go around each other's houses. We'd been at different schools, but we we'd clocked each other in this you know, you, you know just hanging around record shops and stuff and. Um, uh, he couldn't play and I couldn't play very well. And we used to spend, um, you know, weeks just trying to figure out ceremony uh, by new order. <laughs> it's only two chords. Yeah. And uh, we eventually got the chorus. And um, and then we started the band. And Steve, the drummer, is uh, was just a, a, an exceptional musician, but he was in another band. And uh, you always just needed a really good drummer, don't you? It's drummer. So once you've got a good drummer, then you're, you're sorted. Yes, and, uh, this is true. Yeah, and um, but he was in another band, so I I I stole him, um, and he was he was in a band that was a bit uh, like Japan, really, and uh, and I, I didn't really think he wanted to be in that band because his favorite band was Echo and the Bunnymen, and he could really drum like Peter Freitas. Uh, I mean, he really was that good, and um, so I stole him, and then we couldn't get a singer. Uh, because Perth still only about 60,000 uh, people, um, and um, eventually, after going through five or six different people, we we actually settled on singer of his old band, and uh, but he he kind of got with the program and uh, and uh, did some really really great stuff. He was also a brilliant guitar player. Fantastic! So you got the sound. So, um, the sound came together quite quickly. Um. Yeah, I mean, it's like what we were doing was, uh, I mean, initially it was kind of a, a th- we were in a band called Wolf Attack that supported the Icicle Works uh, in Perth. And uh, it sounds a bit sub-golf, uh, but uh, when was that? That must have been about 84, maybe 85. Um, and no, no, 84. And then 85, I was 19. And uh, in 1985, I, you know, going back to the idea of of, of, of starting a club and, and making sure that we were at the forefront of trying to get as many bands up to parties as possibly could, uh, especially after seeing the Smiths, we just kind of thought, um, yeah, this is it. And of course, we were going through to Glasgow and Edinburgh all the time to go and see as many bands as we possibly could. And, um, and Perth had its own little kind of micro scene. Um, <clears throat> which was really, really, really quite interesting as well. And um, and I'd, I heard Go Out and Get em Boy by the Wen present on right. Obviously. And and it just blew me away. It was one of those standalone moments when you, you listen to the radio and you just think, what the fuck? What the fuck is that? And, and it was just, you, you know, every hair on every part of your body just standing on edge, just kind of going... And... Um, and so I sent away for the record, and uh, and then 
obviously back in the day, it used to have a, a, an address uh, and people read out the address. So I sent off a record and had a telephone number and um, and it was Sean, the drummer. Um, I, I just phoned him up and just said, do you want to come play in Scotland? And uh, he said, absolutely. And they were big, massive postcard heads. Right. And, um, and they just kind of thought they couldn't wait to come to Scotland. And uh, and I was just went up to uh, a local pub that, that had quite a, a, a big hall that, that we'd kind of played in before. Uh, and I was a bit... Um, uh, what was I like? I don't know, 19, do you normally go up to your know, burly barmen saying, you know, I want to put a band on, I want your hall. And um, no. and it was great. So we had the PA and got them up and they they, they played their very first gig in Scotland and, and they were absolutely immense. Um, and so that was a, a, a real inspiration for us as well. Um, primarily because it just showed you could do it yourself um, and um, you could kind of follow that rough trade ethos and all of that DIY ethos. So it's kind of a logical conclusion from the Desperate Bicycles that I first heard in 1977 in my mate's bedroom, uh, I suppose, um, and all that Roxy stuff. I just kind of thought, yeah, right, yeah, I, I, I you, can do it. Just... So you were putting gigs on as a sort of a, a side hustle? I wasn't a hustle. It, 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 it was just, we gave all the money to the gigs, all the yeah. gigs in advance. Um, it, it was just... It was just the, the, the absolute enthusiasm that, that I kind of thought. I used to DJ as well. Um, there, was a, there, there was a kind of really cool kind of underground alternative pub in Perth called The Grill that used to put bands on. It was just a tiny, tiny little space. Um, but when I was 17, I used to have a paper round. And, uh, and I spent all from when I was 11. And um, I, I used to spend all of my paper money just back cataloging bus cops the adverts singles you know, you know everything that i could get my hands on yes. uh generation x you know it's like what, whatever i could get, get, get whatever and um and 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 so it was an absolute absolute obsessive and um when i was 17 a guy i worked with in this insurance company just said to me that we became mates we were mates already through the music scene and um this this bar was looking for another DJ um Friday night Saturday lunchtime. So I I started doing that when I was 17. And um so I suppose I was kind of quite involved in that scene quite early on. And um and just kind of thought I could make it happen. I I I I could do it. And um and yeah it was really 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 super exciting. And and I I just kind of wanted to give that excitement that I got from music to everybody else. Whether it was through DJing in a, a small bar and actually putting on, whether it was the four tops that somebody might have never heard before, or whether it was um, Joseph K. Chance meeting, yes. you, you know, fusing the both, fusing them, whatever it was, it was just my, my my love of that. Just I wanted to give that to as many people as I possibly could. Yes. And so when when we started the, um, so when we started the. The um, the club really it was I mean the very first one it was called the Strasbourg Club after a Julian Coke song um, and, uh, and and obviously it ties in with the EU as well so maybe it was subconsciously political as well I don't know uh, you take from that what you will uh, and uh, I'm not a very avid Brexiteer uh, and, uh, and 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 kind of once once you've done it once 
you kind of thought, I kind of thought, whoa, we actually made lots of money. And once we paid the, um, once we paid the um, PA, once we paid the bar, we had loads of money to get the band. Uh, and, and so the wedding present were really happy to come back. And so this time uh, we had uh, one of my lights, who was a bass player in this uh, Poison, um, he was at college in Dundee. So he organised a, a gig in Dundee. I knew somebody in Glasgow that put them on. Uh, by this time, we knew somebody in the Onion Cellar, uh, which was um, everybody talked about Splash One uh, in, in Glasgow rightly so and uh, but it was on a sunday night so we could never go <laughs> yeah. uh and uh, uh primarily because it was a club in dundee but um but the onion cellar in, in edinburgh was a really really great club and and we used to go through there uh it was down by the grass market we used to go through there and see lots of yeah, underground bands the wolfhounds mccarthy actually we, we got mccarthy we were the first to get mccarthy up um and so from the wedding present, they came up a second time. Um, I had a mate in, in Aberdeen, Julie Visit. Hi, Julie, love you. Uh, and she did, uh, she, she started putting gigs on for us as well. So after the wedding present, we put on McCarthy um, two or three times, who were, were immense, a thousand violins, the Great Leap Forward, um, My Bloody Valentine. Blimey. Um, God, that was that was very impressive. That is that is kind of gold, isn't it? Indie gold from the eighties, really. <laughs> and, uh, and and some were, were really well attended. And yeah, I yeah, I I I, I mean the my bloody Valentine gig was 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 great. We we actually had uh um in about nineteen eighty six we moved into uh, a flat together, and it, it was a it was Scotland's very first um. Natural History Museum, and on the ground floor it had a really big hall. In uh, the second floor it had a, a, a 1920s cinema, still with all the red velvet saints. And then the, we lived in the janitor's area in the top, with the drum kit and all the amps and everything set up in the in the living room. Um, and it was kind of right by the river. And uh, I just remember McCarthy coming down, and uh, we didn't have any heating. It was all we had marginal heating, and. Uh, I th- it must have been about minus 18 one, one year when McCarthy were there in January. And they've got some great photos of them freezing with ice on the inside of the windows. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Also, also vivid, did, really, isn't it? They did, they did come back. Yes, well, God, McCarthy. I mean, yeah, incredible band. So with your with with this poison, when did you sort of start writing your own material and sort of releasing? Oh, Straight away, I was I, I could never really play anybody else's songs, so uh, so um, just kind of really was really really interested in actually doing doing our own stuff. Yes, um, and um, yeah, so that was about eighty five, yeah, probably about eighty five. I think we did a demo in about early eighty six um, of four tracks, which I, I don't have anymore. Somebody must have it somewhere. If yes. you have it. I'd, I'd love a copy. <laughs> this is true. Was was um, your first re- single? Was that Engine Failure? Was that yeah, the first? Engine Failure, yeah. Was the first release, and was and you were on Reception Records, weren't you? Yeah. Well, the whole idea was um, was that um, I mean, the wedding present were really happy to to kind of try and get Reception to be a bit of a, a kind of postcard thing. Try to get 
more of a, or, or a fast products kind of thing, you know, to have a label with a, a distinct identity. So there was us, uh, Todd were, did their first single on it as well, uh, and obviously the wedding present. And, um, yeah, we were delighted to do that. And yes. uh, we went down to Leeds and played with them a few times, did a few gigs with them. Um, in England, uh, that was that was really great. Um, and uh, Engine Failure went out, uh, then um, Poison of the Posbon. Blimey, there you go. That was it was all it, it was going fast. Can I just I keep thinking I can hear a cat actually. Can I just see if there's no cat stuck somewhere? <laughs> I keep, I'm, I keep... Allergic to, I'm, I'm allergic to cats. I won't get it in, don't worry. It, it was our cat. Yeah, it was just a cat that's sitting on a fence, just decided to um make a lot of noise. But I kept you trying to sit, keep... never sit on the fence, you'll fall on. <laughs> I'm, a history, I'm a history teacher now. You have to make up your mind. You have to have an argument. <laughs> Yes, it's sort of it's it's a pitiful cry. I have to say that's why I think I was I was worried that there was like it was struggling in life, but it's not. It's just wanting attention. So yeah, so obviously, were you still in the insurance gig as as well as having the band for the evening and weekends? Yeah, yeah, that was that that, that was a thing. Uh, uh, yeah, so yeah, but we we uh, yeah, I used to phone in sick for gigs and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just remember doing a gig in London and uh, and just stopping over and uh, for an extra two or three days. And um, I uh, phoned in and said the van had broken down. And uh, obviously the response from my boss was, oh, there are no more any trains uh, in London uh, to Scotland. Uh, so kind of didn't think that one through. But no, <laughs> I mean, it was... I, I, the insurance job was, you know, it's like it was what it was. But I mean, it was quite interesting to actually do. And uh, I mean, I did that for about five years. Um, but I mean, it's like, you, you know, as I said, I'm from a very working class background. My dad used to make paperweights. Um, and um, so when I got an office job, um, he was kind of delighted, thought I joined, uh, I'd become the bourgeois. Yes, uh, I know. An office job seemed very, job. very sort of. Uh, Wow, that's amazing, yeah. isn't it? An office job. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it, really? So then, so you got the John Peel, you'd been going for a few years, and then you got the phone call from John Peel's office, Mr. Mr. Walters. Yeah. So you must have nearly fallen off your chair when you heard that, you know, come through. Oh, yeah, it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, of course. It was just just absolutely breathtaking. And, um, and uh, yeah, it just all got, you know, it was a Friday afternoon. Uh, kind of one o'clock, and uh, yeah, then then when I, I told the rest of the band, we were just we 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 just played our parts out for the rest of the time, and went down to the session. Uh, it was a Sunday afternoon. Um, yeah, it was great. It was and great did fun. you did you have the famous Dale Griffith who was producing you yeah, at this stage? Absolutely. Yeah, right. and uh, yeah, I, I I don't think I actually knew that he was uh, Mott the Hoople at that stage. I, I I'm not, but. Uh, and it was great. It was really, really, really good fun. Yes. And, uh, and we, we'd been coming down to London since we were 16. And uh, we had a bit of a network in London already anyway, both in West London and uh, and in, in Brixton. And uh, and we we kind of stayed with McCarthy and uh, and some of our mates in, in, in South London, Brixton. McCarthy had moved from East London at that stage down to down to Brixton, or some of them had. And... Um, and then once we moved down to London, that's kind of where we gravitated towards. And um, and Brixton just kind of seemed to be the, the the place to be, really. So, and I'm still yes. here. 
I know. Yeah. So, so were you kind of picking up on all the other kind of indie stuff, you know, rough trade records and creation records in the world that is? Oh yeah, we were massive creation heads. Um, we supported Primal Scream once, uh, maybe twice, uh, and you know, you know, creation was was kind of that. I, I, because we'd been coming down to the to, to London quite a bit. Um, we were. I, I'm I'm pretty sure I went to some of those. Uh, uh, rooftop, uh, uh, what was the Alan McGee's living rooftop. room? The, the living room, uh, the living room. that first live LP as well. Um, I can't remember who we went to see there. Um, and we, we came down to see, um, uh, there, there was a brilliant night, uh, which was probably six, maybe 85, Primal Scream and The Loft and The Bodines. Uh, the Bedeans really, were really, really doing it for me. I thought they were really great, um, and um, and we, me and Likes, who was the bass player, we we kind of was no, it was January and it was minus twenty eight. It sounded like I'm really kind of keen to be cold. It was minus twenty eight one night, and we didn't have anywhere to stay. And uh, and there was a, a creation gig down in um, Newcross uh, at the Newcross uh, New Inn, I think it is, and. Um, yeah, that was a very cold evening. Oh God! <laughs> but it was great. It was—I mean, it was really, really, really good. And Primal Screen played; uh, they, they were immense as well. Um, I mean, Primal Screen then were just really, really threatening. They just looked cool as fuck, uh, so well dressed. And um, yeah, you know, Jim Beatty had a, a, a twelve-string acoustic uh, with a fuzz box on it. And uh, and and you know the drummer ended up in Barolini, I think, which was uh, which is a kind of uh, prison for people with psychosis. <laughs> and uh, so so they were they were they were they were fantastic. They were really interesting. Other bands that we put on were um, uh, oh oh, uh, oh god, it's, yeah, I'll come back to you. Yes. So what happens to the band? Because it's all going well. 87, which I still almost put down as the best year of music ever. And uh, you're, you're absolutely rocking at this stage. And well, we, um, we, 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 we thought um, Poised Over the Pause Button. I actually think that Poised Over the Pause Button is probably in the top three best singles of 1987. Yes, this is this could be true. No, I mean, I just think it's, you know, that period is just so good. Then, yeah, so what uh, happens with the with the band well, at this we, stage? We, um, we had a third single released. Uh, no, we had a third single ready, recorded and ready to go. And um, we had moved to London. And, um, uh, you know, it was a tough choice. We moved to Leeds, Glasgow, Edinburgh. We stayed in Perth. Uh, we'd kind of done everything we could from Perth. Um, and then we moved to, to London because um, we had more of a network. Um, a couple of us had girlfriends here as well. Um, and uh, it just kind of seemed to be the logical thing to do. And um, with a third single ready to go, um, then Red Rhino spent all the money on George Best, which was the wedding present first LP. Yes. They went bust uh, because of that, because, uh, and and then Rough Trade went bust roughly at the same time as well, or they downsized. And um, and we, we kind of, plodded on for a bit our singer kind of got agoraphobia he uh went back to scotland um we uh then uh uh we we kind of stumbled we got another guitar player and um i i, I then applied to go to uni 
and I got into Goldsmiths to study history. And uh, and we spent about a year looking for a new singer. And when I was at Goldsmiths, um, this is 1989, and uh, I, I came across the, the coolest looking guy uh, that I could possibly think to be my singer. And uh, and he had been wandering around. He was an art. And uh, and he had this big Age of Chance poster, uh, this big, kind of big collage kind of thing with the Age of Chance on it. And I kind of thought, you look really cool. So it's kind yes. of been chatting him up in the pub. And uh, and I said, right, okay, you need to be the singer in my band. You know, we've done a peel session, single of the week in uh, NME or Melody Maker. We, you, you know, we're really going places. And, 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 and this really cool guy said, I don't think I'll be able to do that. I said, why? Uh, oh, I'm already in a band. I said, all right, okay. Um, and and also, my my singer wouldn't like it. Who's your singer? Oh, my my singer's a guy called Damon. I'm in a guy called. I'm in a band called Seymour. It was Graham from from Blur. Graham from the future. Blur. Oh, right. And, uh, so that was kind of quite funny and interesting. And uh, so I saw them a few times when they were when when they were Seymour. Yes. And, um, and so we, it, it didn't really, um, so it kind of fizzled out a bit. Um, and we were still mates with McCarthy. Uh, but then at that time, McCarthy kind of uh, kind of fizzled out by about 1990. Um, and, and Tim and Leticia uh, had asked if I wanted to play the bass in their first, uh, in their first outing. And um, oh, I just kind of thought, hmm. And I'm kind of, I kind of switched from being, you know, still, and, and also acid house had happened, and we'd we'd seen you, you know all that kind of acid house kind of thing was 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 kind of under the surface, under the radar all the time, and we we'd been to to quite a few. I mean, I remember the very first block party we went to was was uh, in 1986 in King's Cross, uh, and that was that was mad. Uh, <laughs> And uh, I mean, it really was an old disused warehouse. And um, so kind of all, all of that kind of indie thing was almost fused by by you know, all sorts of eclectic music. And Peel kind of gave us that as well. I mean, it wasn't yes. just dimensional. And um, and so, you know, New Order, massive dance band. And and so when we were putting the clubs on, when we, we did Strasbourg Club, it was it was kind of a dance club as well as uh, as well as that. And um, I do. I, I, Things like going to see the Happy Mondays in, in you know, 28th of November 1988 uh, at Dingwalls. That was my 23rd birthday. And um, Acid House was in the air. And um, we, we didn't really do Acid House. It was strange. And uh, a couple of my mates were trying to get me to go to kind of Schumann Heaven and stuff. And I was like, nah, I'm not really. I'm a, I'm a guitar head. <laughs> And I just just seen the Happy Mondays at that time in a small. I'd seen them about five or six times before, and yeah, they were okay. Tart Tart was a good song, and and and, and but but there was something special about that night uh, that was like seeing the Sex Pistols. It was just as Bummed came came out, and uh, it, it was it was it was immense. There were two busloads of of Manx down, and, uh, and it was honestly really, really, really was. Super exciting, super intense, and um, and I said, "How's happened?" And mm -hmm. um, and kind of, I suppose also all the passion that I actually had for music went into into history. Not all the passion because I was you know still massively. I didn't have any enough money to actually buy records anymore, um, although we were taking things, and um, it just kind of 
our passions went elsewhere. Yes, um, this is true. The singer went off to Canada. He now runs a moose farm. Um, Steve is a uh, um, moose, as in caribou, as opposed to mice for my Scottish listeners. Um, thank you. That was a good job. And, uh, and then uh, Steve's back in Edinburgh. Um, he's a structural engineer, likes is, is still in London, uh, doing some interesting political stuff. Uh, and I'm, a, I'm now a teacher at the Brit School. Uh, I'm kind of so, so kind of my music in, in, in the end is kind of ended up kind of there. Um, and, and kind of our, our London journey kind of took us uh, to down different avenues, you, you know, clubbing. Um, then that kind of acid jazz thing, talking loud, was was became really interesting. Um, so um, yeah. That's so at that, so at that stage, you know, the band and the tapes and the archives all went into a box. So then, recently, then really recently, there's been this interest. So was it the case then, through several decades, there was nothing about the band, and then in the last few years, no, there's got... always. Um... I mean, Jim, uh, who did Jim Simply Thrilled, uh, who did a fanzine called Simply Thrilled out of Glasgow, um, did a compilation uh, on Egg Records. Uh, that must have been in the early 90s um, on CD. Uh, and uh, that got some acclaim. Um, and we've been on Scared to Get uh, Scared to Get Happy, Cherry. We've been on several uh, reissues, the Cherry Red, Scared to Get Happy. Yes. Um, and also the um, Big Gold Dreams, which was a, a yes. retrospective of Scottish, kind of the top 50 Scottish records. Uh, and um, and we, we, we actually got voted uh, in the top 10 of all Scottish singles uh, in a, 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 a national, in, in a Scottish newspaper, which was really bizarre. Um, so yeah, it it's it's it, it, it I mean it really is weird that uh that there's still kind of got this interest. And um you, you know, as a teacher, uh some of my, my kids have actually found out that I used to be in a band and uh and that in itself's been, been kind of funny because yes, you know, I, I, at my at, at the school it's um yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's an interesting place to be. But people yes. like Joel Strummer and the Gang of Four uh, actually gave me the confidence. And uh, so, so music is kind of still informing what I'm doing on my, on my day-to-day life. You know, it's, 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 it's Strummer and the Gang of Four that, that just kind of led me to where I am. And did it, was it then Fire Station's UV that sort of got in touch with you first before... Precious Recordings of London was that the first kind of time when when you had this kind of recent reissue? It was Mike at Slumberland, um, who is he's from Chicago, but he's he's working out of California. He was the first um, person that got back in touch with me. And then, as, as I said at the top before we we started this, um, the um, so Mike at Slumberland. Hey, Mike Hodon, um, who plans to release a compilation in the States uh, next year, which is which is amazing, which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, Uwe in uh, in Berlin, uh, and then Nick at, at Precious, and I, I, I can't think I, I can't thank them enough. It's 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 an absolute delight to be 
you know, 30 years after the fact still yes. on somebody's <laughs> radar. I know it's it is kind of, I, I suppose having done this show for quite a while there there seems to be this pass in the time which is roughly 25 to 30 years where things suddenly get rediscovered and then reappreciated and then sort of looked looked slightly differently and not necessarily with rose tinted sunglasses but I think sometimes thinking actually that was quite good wasn't it you know rather than just like oh that was just what we did back in those days but you know there was a lot of books on sort of I don't know, bands, but there's also books on fanzines and there's been, you know, books on posters and, you know, photographic books that have come out from that period. And I think it's like, oh, yes, I didn't realise there were so many tribes in the 80s, weren't there? And, you know, like you said, the <laughs> Sam Neill book. And it kind of makes you look at it slightly, oh, because there was lots that I've kind of gone back and discovered that I missed completely the first time. So it's not just like, oh, this is my childhood or this is my teen yeah. years or whatever. Yeah. It's like... Blimey, yeah, I can't remember that scene at all, but actually I'll now give it a listen and thinking, oh, yeah, that is good, isn't it? You know, and, and like I said, I've been... In, in some ways, it's kind of what we did uh, retracing the 50s, uh, retracing the 60s as well. You know, it's like finding about the creation, the band, the creation, uh, and the action, and uh, all, all of that kind of kind of 60s modern and psychedelic thing as well. Um, yes, and um so oh absolutely i guess i mean that nuggets compilation that everyone talks about from the yeah from the 60s that you know obviously no one had particularly during the 60s even the 70s but suddenly there's all these you know like garage rock bands who had at least one or two fantastic singles and if you were really dedicated you'd buy the album but really let's face it you just wanted the compilation really didn't you with the best stuff and um yeah and and i think it is the same with the indies and indie stuff actually it's it's like most of it is better and actually i think the other thing that i get is the people who were doing it like yourself were actually much more committed than than one you know at the time thought about i think the the kind of the passion and drive to make that record and to put so much of their life into it Yes, yeah. it does come through actually, and everybody took it really seriously. It wasn't like, oh, I did it, and it was kind of all right. There's none of that language. It was like, my God, we really committed it. We oh no, hundred percent passionate about it. It's like, I mean, it was it was life or death. It was it was you know Bob Shankly. It's like I'm not footballhead, but it's that yes. Bob Shankly statement of yeah, yeah. You know, music is much, 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 much more important than football. Yes, um, and uh, <laughs> or life or death. Um, but uh, it's funny that you you actually talk about books because uh, just as we speak, I'm actually opening up the the, the post office has just arrived with the Nige Tassel C86 and uh, all that. Yeah. yeah, so I'll be delving into that later today. Um, but yeah. no, it's 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 just I mean it's a joy to see bands like the, the Pastels still going and still making some stuff that's really relevant and really really interesting. Um, and uh, although they haven't done stuff for for a wee while, um, and um, you know, Wolf Hounds uh, are still kind of doing stuff, and Stereo, um, you, you, you know, and, and it, it's it's and it just evolves, doesn't it? And um, and it's it's yeah, it's it's just a joy. Well, I think. Um... I think, you know, your path is is probably one that a lot of people took eventually thinking, actually, I've got to have to earn some money and also there's other interests. But then realising that, you know, there's still that kind of love of making music occasionally and to sort of go with it. And, um, yes, I think it's kind of fascinating. But I do think having all these kind of reissues out has been brilliant. And I'm sure that for some people it isn't about reforming the band because that can be a bit too tricky. But sometimes thinking, actually, I might sort of rediscover that passion for making music and just put it on Bandcamp or whatever, rather than having to worry about any 
any yeah. major label. And I think that's kind of interesting as well, because I think a guy from the Bodines has done that recently. Yeah, that's the... Matt, Matt on, is it? Something I can't remember which Matt? one it was, actually. But, um, yeah. Yeah, the yeah. but um, it's, it's you know, I think everyone's I mean, still that, got it. I, I don't know if you saw the um, footage of, um, of the rehearsal of Therese. Um, that the guitar player's dad had filmed. Uh, He put it on Twitter about six months ago. That was just phenomenal. If if you've not seen it... Oh, I'll have a look. Um, I'll I'll, I'll send it to you. It is, so, Therese, uh, and it's just, and I think they do God Bless as well. Uh, And it's a 1980, must be 1985. uh, It's a handheld super... Super. Oh no, you've you've gone. Thank God this was at the end. Come back. There it. Do 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 do. Oh, hit pause. That's good. Excellent. No, no, it just kind of it must. Have, I have to say that was so lucky that hasn't happened. Apart from that very wow. first bit. Yeah. So just before it all kind of crashes into a, a, a mess. Um, <laughs> of technical fibers yeah i mean if there was something you could have mentioned or said to your 16 year old self starting out in in the world that is music and just life generally i mean is there anything you would have whispered even if that person would have ignored it and said i know best oh just be passionate about what you do and 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 do it to your best just just passion and intellect and 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 do it with um uh everything that you've actually got Whatever it is, you you decide and and try and try and I, I mean I'm I'm really lucky that I've eventually found a path that you know as a teacher I'm I'm really lucky uh, I love what I do um, I loved making music it was great fun um, I'm I'm still very very interested in it but I'm 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 kind of one of the lucky ones I no longer work in the insurance world I no longer work in a shit job in uh um plumbers merchants you you know i've 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 got a really interesting job that that i can take the the ideas and the values uh and and the intellectual curiosity that i kind of and and, and the political elements that i kind of got from strummer and the gang of four and and all that diy thing um and 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 I can channel it into what I actually do now, and 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 you know I I I can't thank music enough for that really, mm. um, you, you know, and it's 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 yeah it's 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 yeah it's been a really really interesting joyous path, um, and 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 also kind of where I am you you know so like people like King Cruel do you know King Cruel have you heard of them no Archie Marshall King uh, Cruel. And and Black Midi? No, God, no, I feel bad, don't I? <laughs> yeah, they're they're kind of two quite interesting. So I mean the Brit School's known for Adele and Amy Winehouse and you you know kind of it's it and it's a state school, I'm very, very proud to 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 say. So um yeah, so so it's kind of again the youth keep me up to date with what's actually happening musically as well they'll kind of give me little pointers of um you know black country new roads or you know whatever it is that's, that's actually going on and and actually i'm i'm actually two streets away from the windmill Bling. which is uh which is kind of south london's number one venue that the new bands come out of 
um, which is which is not that I go to ma- masses of gigs, but uh, but yeah. So I, I, yeah, and 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 London's still quite an interesting place to be. I mean, so I went to see Galaxy Five Hundred, uh, Dean Wareham kind of doing stuff just over just just in the summer. Uh, yes, that's the most recent thing we went to see, and um, you know it's like festivals down the Broadwell Park or you know whatever. It's uh, yeah, it's, it's it's nice. I'm still very interested in music. Excellent. Well, look, Derek, thank you ever so much for this. It's been amazing. I'm really grateful. And if you want, I can always send you the link, and then you could always put it. I don't know what what sort of places you might want to put it, but yeah. You know. But no, yes, thank, but thank you ever so much for sending <laughs> I, me the I, records I as well. Oh yeah, Sorry, probably I'll probably do it in the next couple of weeks to, to coincide with the when's the release on Precious Recordings? Is that come out or it, is that it's out now? I'll put it out because dear old Nick, he's such a nice guy, isn't he? And he's done such a great job with these releases as well. Abs- absolutely amazing. I mean, we we actually put on uh, the Jasmine Minx were the second band we actually put on um, uh, 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 our club, which was you know uh, uh, again really good. Um, and the, the Great Leap Forward were. Absolutely, who were um, big flame? Big flame. Into, uh, I know. Uh, it's like a, and and again, they were taking all that James Brown stuff, all that dance stuff, uh, infusing it into the madness that was big flame. Um, but the great way forward were uh, absolutely joyous as well. So, Fantastic. yeah, yes, good stuff. Anyway, look, I must let you go, but thank you again for this. Yeah. This has been amazing, and have a lovely afternoon. Oh, and we used to go to squat parties at my bloody Valentine as well. No wonder we moved to London. Oh, did fun. you? Oh, did you used to go to the ambulance station then to see? No, it... that was before. Um, uh, we we moved. We didn't move down until 1988. So the ambulance station is about 86. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I'm 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 too too young for the ambulance station. Too young. But we had our own ambulance station in Scotland. Nice. Well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People had to be. Um, no, it was great fun. Uh, <laughs> we we had we had a riot. There we go. That's my last line. We had a riot. Excellent. And, uh, yeah, people playing in our kitchens. Uh, yeah, and um, yeah, the bachelor pad. Um, I don't know if you know them. They're from from Glasgow. Yes. And, uh, Tommy Cherry. Tommy, uh, yes. They actually played in. They, they actually played in our um, front room. Uh, remember, I told you that we actually had a, a, a whole gear set up in our, our front room in the place where we actually stayed. And I've got this abiding, beautiful memory of Tommy. Stand and sing and Jack and Julian and our sink. <laughs> God, that's amazing. God, yeah, if, yeah. if only we, if only we'd taken more pictures, that would have been so useful. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, well, you know, it's like it's great that nobody filmed us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, nice one. Anyway, look, I've let let you go, but thanks a lot again. Yeah. This has been yeah, amazing. Been Take care. Cheers. Bye bye. Thanks again. Bye. And that was me in conversation with Derek Muir from. Uh, this poison, and as I mentioned at the beginning, and we probably mentioned throughout that interview, there is, well, at times, um, a, a collection that has just come out, Precious Recordings of London, This Poison, uh, the John Peel session from the November 1987. It sounds amazing, so go and check it out. And also anything else on Precious Recordings of London has been beautifully put together, and um, it's a great project. So anyway, C86 show, this is it. (laughs) I'm David E. So if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 show, keep it positive and groovy. And also, yes, all these have been archived, so you can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. It's true. Anyway, have a great week, and stay safe.